Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Harry Wicks right to the last Welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping safe and well out there. Thank you for joining us during this international break. Pleased to have alongside me, I've got the instructor of our crazy train, Lee McQueen's in the house. Lee, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks very well, Rick. So we're back again. And what a fantastic show um, that we've got ahead of us. Oh, uh, some real, real strong insights into the world of football finance, professional footballers and how they deal with that, that finance. So I'm really looking forward to this one, mate. Yeah, indeed. Listen, well, I think we recorded, Lee, two to three months ago with Kieran Maguire at the, did. The, the Price of Football. That was a really good show. So the kind of follow-up from here, um, we're absolutely delighted to welcome to The Last Word on Spurs, we've got the wonderful Adam Osper joining us. Adam is a financial planner for Tilney. I'm going to get right into that. Ad, how are you, firstly? Well, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure. And I must say, Ad, you are a massive Tottenham fan, season ticket holder, one of our yeah. own, essentially. Yeah, I've had a season ticket for maybe 24 years, I think, something like that. Showing your age, yeah, Ad, showing your I age. Know. I used to stand <laughs> like, um, I used to stand in the lower tier of Paxton years ago um, when I was about 16, 17. And really? I think when I thought we were going to be good, maybe 18, 19, I've got a season ticket, but that hasn't materialised. Guess what, Ad? We're <laughs> so, still, yeah, we're still thinking it, we're going to be good. I know, it's a work exactly. in progress. It's a work yeah, it's, in progress. Yes, Hopefully it's going in the right direction. Listen, it's always great to do different content during an international break. And it's actually a delight to have you here because we're going to get an insight into Lisa there in terms of football finance, the impact of football, you yourself, like I say, managing players and the industry you're in. So I suppose the first question to kind of ask you, Ad, to kind of go off your background, we understand that you are a chartered and certified financial planner, that you've worked in the financial planning for over 20 years. You specialise in working in the sport and entertainment industry with your main client blank, including Premier League footballers, musicians, entertainers, as well as some real high-profile rugby players and boxers. Are you able to give us an insight what that is like handling some of the characters you've come across during your time in this industry? It's quite a big intro there. So it makes me sound better than I am. <laughs> um, do you know what? I love it. You know, I absolutely love sport. I absolutely love football. And, um, you know, it is, it is a lot of fun what doing you know, working with these guys, um, I, I suppose what is very different. So half of my client bank are sort of business owners, sort of normal people, and you have a normal business relationship with them. So you communicate by emails and you have meetings with them and so on. But football is a completely different world where you communicate on WhatsApp with these guys. 
Um, and, you know, your meetings will vary almost on a week to week basis. So you can't plan three or four weeks in ahead. It's very difficult to email and communicate. So it's a very just different way of dealing with people because, you know, so, some of the people I work with are aged you know, 18 to maybe sort of 40. So they are young men, very, very young men. And you don't often realise that until you get in front of them, I suppose, you know, so, so I'm quite a big Spurs fan, as, as you know. I suppose the only time I've I've been a little bit starstruck is, is when it's like Spurs-related stuff. So I sort of got past the, the starstruck bit. And remember, years ago I went to watch a game at the old Spurs training ground because a client was playing, and he was playing in one of those fitness matches. And the first team sort of came off, and Bale and Modric came, Modric came and stood next to me to watch the game. And I was I sort of had to restrain myself from giving them both. <laughs> A hug, um, and to try to, to to try to remain professional. Um, so, what's it like dealing with the, the most important thing is, is 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 trust and to have a good relationship and and to be honest with them and to keep things really really simple um, because you know most of these guys don't have um, an education. So the world of finance and what I do is 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 you know, brand new to them. So there's a lot of education I do. I try to train people or or educate them on different areas to get them to understand what they're doing. Brilliant stuff. And in addition to that, as, as, as well, Ad, you, you also run a team in London and work with mainly high net worth individuals uh, alongside uh, business owners. So from small, medium, large enterprises all the way through to, yeah. to business owners as well, specialising, as we said, in sports. Um, uh, how, how do you find the footballers are often coming to you for advice? I mean, is it kind of at the start of their career? Is it towards the end of their career? Do they kind of think about it and then think, shit, I've got a year left on my contract before I retire, what we're going to do? You know, talk to us a little bit about that. It's, pro- it's probably a mix. So when I first started, um, um, I basically ran a sports division um, and we would go out and meet sort of players that we knew, um, agents and, and accountants and other t- professionals to try to sort of get to know them. And that, that was about 12 years ago. And then, you know, most of the introductions that I, I get now come through agents, a couple of big agents that I work with, um, couple of tax advisors and lawyers and in an ideal world you want people to come at a young age because you can you can work them and educate them and get them into really good habits from a young age sometimes when you meet people who are older in football terms like in their 30s it can be much harder because their income is effectively going to be on the decline and all of the their expenditure and cost of living will already be in place so yeah, it's, it's quite difficult. A, a higher standard already, isn't it? Like a higher, yeah. higher uh, expenses. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I've got clients, like I say, who are 18. Um, I've got clients who are retired. Um, and, and actually before this, I was meet, I had a meeting with a football agent I worked with and sort of two of his biggest players I've worked with for like eight or nine years now. And we were just oh, talking really. about how we first met and what an amazing position they're in now and what a great position they will be in when they finish football. When they finish, yeah. No, it's fascinating stuff. Some footballers you work with, are very, very young. They can often earn a huge amount of money in such a short space amount of time. So really planning for the future is absolutely key because there are so many external factors that can affect the footballer drastically, such as relegation, injury, do I even say personal issues such as divorce can come into the fold. How do you as an individual, how do you gain that player's trust to represent them long term? I'd say it depends on the relationship and where it comes from. A couple of the big agents that I work with the players trust them implicitly so there is that trust sort of automatically sometimes it takes um a long time players once you have their trust are very open honest and trusting people but sometimes it takes a while to break down the barriers to get them to trust you and sometimes i'll i'll see footballers in normal times when we're not stuck at home doing zoom calls you know once a month once every two or three months to talk to them about financial planning the future um, you spoke about injury. There are specific bespoke insurances that footballers or sports people will need. Um, you know, we spoke about relegation clauses, all of the stuff that we do, the planning work that I do, we take into account any contract changes. And relegation clauses can vary between nothing, if you've got a great agent, um, up to 25 or 50%. Wow. And um, just to quickly follow up on that, do, do people, you hear stories like, oh, you, you know, Harry Kane's legs worth 200 million or whatever. It, it was actually in the documentary. Do, do people to actually ensure their, you know, their body parts or against injury and stuff? Not their body parts, but you, but you could, <laughs> so, so you will have, 
you can have diff- there are loads of different insurances the club can take out an insurance that basically protects them um you know on on on, on the cost of of a player if they do a big transfer wow. yeah, yeah. Um, but the player personally will take out an insurance policy that I mean, there are a couple and it depends on what country you're in around Europe. So in the UK, so in Holland, for example, if you get injured, all of your contract is paid. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. In Germany, if you get injured, you are only paid for six weeks. So that's a a little bit. So it's a little bit like going sick from, you know, as a normal yeah, employee, yeah. employee yeah. really. Yeah. You get six pay, uh, sick pay for X, Y, Z, and then it's down to the company if yeah. they give you a different kind of policy or, or it's, you know, um, statutory sick pay, as it would be called. Exactly. So, yeah. in, the, so in Germany, you need a, a, like an income replacement policy to start after that six-week period. In the UK, the clubs are relatively, there's no set criteria, but normally they would continue to pay you for at least two years. Well, that's oh. not written into the contract. And you normally get... Um, a, a, a specific insurance called career-ending insurance that basically yeah. pays out if they cannot play football anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, so they're medically signed off. Yeah, yeah. So, so people have got you know like one of our own Ryan Mason, for example, where you know he yes. got that horrendous Absolutely. injury and he would have he would have yeah. that and obviously gone back into the coaching. No, that's yeah. fascinating stuff. I mean, we're talking about players and, and they do have a great opportunity to build a successful future for themselves and their families. But but um, like we mentioned before, it's it's over a short period of time. Like time's limited. They can have a fantastic career uh, and build some large tangible assets. Um, and then all of a sudden that can be gone. So how soon would you advise a footballer to get help when it comes to looking after their money? As soon as they can. When people think about footballers specifically, they think about top-end Premier League footballers earning massive money. If you go down, let's go down to League One as an example, a, a League One footballer will earn almost like, a let's say, a London city-based worker's salary. Yeah. But they might only earn that for seven years. And then after that, they can stop playing football. So they'll be 36, 37. They won't have built up any, any assets. They may have got a mortgage, just really simple just things, a little bit of savings. Right, yeah. And 37 years old with no job and no qualifications. So, so, so for those, it's, it's a completely different way of, way of working. And, and people always think about the top end Premier yeah. League footballers. But you know, if you're a Premier League footballer, you, you've got to look after yourself. But normally a lot of these guys look after their families as well you know they look after their parents their brothers and sisters and so on and it's very rare that you see people like let's say Lampard Rooney Gerrard who play at the top of their game for 10 to 15 years most players play at the top for maybe five to eight years so it's a really short window to put yourself in a position to have the best life afterwards and what what I try to do is I just try to get work with players to say look you've got an unbelievable career you've got an unbelievable opportunity here but let's try to get you into a situation where when you finish playing you have some form of financial independence and that will mean different things depending on what division you're in yeah, it's fascinating when you, when you talk about going down the lower leagues, for example. Like my business partner, he um, he actually uh, lives next door to a, uh, a professional footballer who plays in League One. I won't, I won't tell you who it is, but he plays in League One, and and he's like you say, like they're just just a normal normal guy, like yeah. earning normal money, like normal people. When when his career is finished, he's going to have to do something else because there's no way that you can retire on on the on the money that he's earned in in a 10, uh, 15 year football career. Most of the guys are normal people. When you strip everything away from them, they are just young guys. And people will always say, oh, well, they earn a load of money and so on. But the reality is, once they've got a house, some cars, looked after their family, there's only so many things you can spend money on. They will still argue with their wives or their partners. You know, they will still have all the day-to-day problems that you and me have. Yeah. And and the thing is, Ad, it is, it is relative, isn't it? You know, the reality is if you earn... 10 grand a year, 10 grand a month or 10 grand a week. The reality is it is relative. If you go and earn 10 grand a year, you, you know, you, you're not going to be able to go and buy a brand new car and you're not going to be able to do this, that and the other. If you earn 10 grand a month, you might be able to do that. If you earn 10 grand a week, you probably will be able to do that. But you end up spending, you know, a, a lot of people, um, you know, you, you'll be able to spend to your means, I suppose, is yeah. what, I'm, what I'm saying. And, and that's where you come in to actually help and support people in what they can and should and where their money should be invested. That's probably, I mean, the, the point there is, is, is a really important one with spending, you know, within your means. So I think as people are younger or footballers are younger um, or, or, or uh, as soon as they start earning very good money, that's where you 
have to have quite a lot of discipline because if you're earning you know 50 60 70 80 100 thousand pounds a week after tax if you're earning 100 thousand pounds a week you're roughly taking home 220 thousand pounds a month obscene amount of money so you could almost do whatever you want and still have a load of money left over that month you could get private jets you can do this you, you know you can spend on clothes all of these things you can do and have loads of money left over so then what can happen is your base expenditure can all of a sudden be seventy thousand pounds a month as an example and a big mortgage yeah. and so on and you've still got loads left over but if your base is seventy thousand, that means that actually what is that it's about 840 a year so that means after football you've effectively got to earn one and a half million pound to obtain that standard of living if you yeah. don't have enough money saved yeah that's crazy yeah and that's okay. where and that's where problems arise just following on from that, um, Adam, is you know, so obviously you'd like them as uh, as early as possible to come into the process with a financial planner. But where does a player begin to look for a financial planner? It's, again, is it a kind of a network whereby they will be asking their agents and it's a referral system, or you know, I, I, do they go on the internet and start doing some Google searches? Like, how does that kind of work? So I'd say normally, normally it would be through an agent. Then it might well be through. Uh, parents trying to, to to find someone that they know yeah, um true. there are contacts through the pfa that, that that they can get but typically most of it would be through their agent and i suppose that there are some agents that do that very well that they will work with you know a financial advisor a tax advisor and a lawyer to have this team and then there are some agents that will just do the deal and then let them get on with their own devices yeah, and yeah. then and then sometimes the banks will, will get involved as well if if a player banks with one of the big banks then they they might do some work with them but typically i would say it's it it's predominantly guided by the agent it's not too often that a footballer will say i need to go and get financial advice normally it might be the first instance could be related to property yeah, I was going to say investment in property or general investments. What does essentially separate a good financial planner from a very bad one? Is there, is there much you can kind of give us on that? <laughs> um, separate? I mean, it's like any industry. You get people who are very good at their job and people who aren't good at their job. I suppose in the sports sector specifically, I think having an understanding and working in that sector is really important because... You need to understand, one, how these people as human beings work. So I, I talk about how you communicate with them, how you see them, how you talk to them. Secondly, you need to know about their contracts, the specialist insurance, specialist mortgages. There are all specific rules around pensions related to sports people. And often you might have somebody that picks up a footballer who isn't a specialist, but, but maybe gets excited at the prospect of working with a sports person. So, but they've never worked with one before. So there's a lot of stuff that they might that might get missed. Yeah. or that they might not do properly. And I think that's where a problem can arise. So it's, it is really important to work with a specialist. And I suppose the other thing you see is because there's a misconception that footballers are flash. And you know, they might be flash in terms of they've got really nice cars and jewellery and clothes and so on. But with their money, they're generally quite conservative. And what you've seen in the past is people have this misconception that they need to try to go to them with esoteric, flashy investment opportunities in weird and wacky things um that actually aren't good for them yeah that's really interesting because you talk about the kind of that investment piece and you know there's a lot of you know um high profile footballers robbie fowler being one of them actually it springs to mind where he set up a you know a, a combined uh, organization to actually go and do uh, international property development and that type of stuff and you know i, I always you know with, with my own investments that you know property is um is is uh, as a safe bet uh, for for one of a better expression um, and, and you know, kind of flat, the flashy term that you talked about. We've um, we've we, we picked someone from the other side, shall we? In terms of uh, Aubameyang, I know you're going here with the cars. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you go and look at his cars, <laughs> and he's had them gold, platinum wrapped, and all this sort of stuff. But again, you know, to him, without being you know rivalry aside, to, to him that's a hobby, and he can afford that hobby. So yeah. you know, like coming back to what we were saying before, you know, yeah, young man, uh, thirty two 33 years old or whatever he's not not that young in terms of football in terms of arsenal fans but um you know the, the the reality is he's got the money to be able to do some of that stuff but he's not going to get a return on them cars but he might get a return on different investments like property or tech businesses or whatever it might be i think the, the property one's an interesting one and in there is this robbie fowler effect in football where footballers want property and you know it's fine i I spend a lot of time discussing the property stuff, footballers, because often they move clubs a lot 
and their instant reaction is right I need to buy a house where I am yeah. and you might be go, going to a certain part of the country you know I'm not going to name any cities to, to offend anybody but it, it's somewhere where you're never going to live in the long term so don't buy a property there and spend the money on stamp duty a big deposit bring it up because you might be gone in six months or a year so actually rent until you find a place in which you want to live and then when you're looking at investments you know look in property test the water with a couple because sometimes people buy properties and then they have two three four and they get fed up with tenants and dealing with them and agents and so on and so so that's the first thing what i try to do is build up or get into a position where they have liquid money which isn't tied up so that it can help supplement their income it can help pay for children's educations it can help their families in the future it can help them go into new businesses or whatever it might be alongside property yeah it's interesting as well you, you talk about kind of investment in into organizations and you know the government in in the uk run a seis scheme yeah. uh, which again to, to, to most you know, you're looking at premier league profile players that are on 200 grand a week or whatever you know this is you know this is pocket money to them but you know you get 50 percent of it back when you invest in an seis scheme so so the reality is your you know your your risk you're being risk averse by um, by, by uh, investing via that type of uh, that that type of scheme. And if and if the company that you that you invest in goes pop, you get another thirty five percent back. So so the reality is it's, it's it's limiting limiting your risk, isn't it? You're going through them sorts of schemes. It is, but EIS and CDIS are deemed by the regulator to be much higher risk investments, investing in very small startup businesses, and. With sports people, it are, it's quite difficult to make that recommendation. Firstly, their money's not liquid. Secondly, they would be very adverse to, you have the tax breaks, but saying to somebody, actually, there's a very strong chance this will go bust, but you'll recover 85% of your money. They will just not do it because they will just not want to take that risk. Um, I have, you know, throughout the coronavirus crisis this year, stock markets <laughs> dropped 35%. And I was having regular communications with the guys just trying to explain to them how money moves, how they're, and, and we were very fortunate to tell me actually that our portfolios performed. We did a pretty good job through that crisis. Um, and but so how I communicate. So I was sending, we did a lot of podcasts yeah. as a business. So I was sending podcasts to the guys. I was spending, sending charts to the guys. And, and interestingly, you always have this conversation about never sell on the way down because you will only ever crystallize a loss and you need to understand that you need to have a longer term approach and throughout the coronavirus crisis where markets dropped 35 percent there was a three-day period where markets rebounded 14 percent so had somebody panicked on the way down and sold they would have never got that 15 percent return back Mm. up and actually, if you'd missed those three days now, you would still be down. No, it's, it's, fascinating, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And it, again, highlighting to me that, you know, especially with professional sports people, that they are, you know, they're not willing to take them risks where people in a city or, 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 you know, professional investors, for example, in tech businesses or whatever, they, they would take them risks because of that's what, that's what they do on a daily basis. The it's mindset's, got, sorry to jump in, the mindset's okay. the complete other way around. So where you've got a businessman in the city or businesswoman in the city who have sold a business, they know that they need to make a lot of that money work for them for the future. A footballer or a sports person is very conservative. When their money's in the bank, they can physically see it. Or if it's in a property, they can physically see it. So moving it to Tilney or whoever it might be to invest, all of a sudden they're doing something that they don't quite understand and they can't see it and get their hands on it. And the Abangyang example is a really good one because he may spend all of these money on these brash cars like other footballers do. And he might spend £150,000 and then sell it for £100,000 a few months later and lose £50,000. They'll be comfortable with that. But if we invest their money and it goes down, they get very nervous with any sort of movement at all. It's a very different mindset, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is is mad. Quite hands-on with with, with your clients, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, with, with the sports people, I'm very hands-on whatsapping them i'll speak to them you know when they're playing after games how they are because it's a personal relationship and 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 you know i'm as hands-on as somebody wants me to be whether they're a sports client or not and i think throughout the coronavirus crisis that's where you you asked the question before what makes a good financial planner or not 
I think throughout that crisis, I contacted my clients over a two to three to four month period more than I would do in normal terms. Updates, conversations, having meetings with them, sending them information, sending them data to make sure that actually, or, or just to let them know that I'm here to help, you know, everybody can see all their clients when things are going well and, and markets are going up and their money's going up. You, you know, you don't, you know, you, it's when things are going bad to make sure that you're there to help people, to reassure them. And I, I sort of really enjoyed that side of things through the coronavirus crisis. And especially with the footballers, I like to spend time with them, educating them, getting them to understand yeah. about finances because, you know, they do have a very short career. And, and it's important for them to know what, what they do with their money, how they spend it and, and where it goes. That's one of the questions I think is worth trying to find out from you. Is it purely the financial planner's responsibility to look after those players' money or do clubs and the authorities also have a big role to play here in this case? It's a good question. My job is to help, help these guys. That is my responsibility. Where the duty of care sits is an interesting one. So at football clubs for um, your top end, you know, your first team, there's no specific education or club specific requirements to do anything. And they've generally steered away from that because in the past, a long time ago, there were some companies that helped clubs and things didn't go so well. So clubs have just steered away from that. At the academy level, you know, at the um, under 18s, under 21s, under 23s, there's, there's clear education processes in place and, and there's training programs for classroom lessons effectively. And one of those modules is about financial planning or financial services and, and, and money effectively. So that needs to be done. The PFA do offer guidance as well. But at, at the first team level, there's no who's actually responsible for it. And that's where I think, you know, me, I think the agents, I, I do think they have a responsibility and a duty of care there. It's fascinating stuff, actually. Adam, I wanted to just uh, kind of uh, look at that kind of good versus bad investments part, if I could. So <laughs> yeah. how, how do kind of, how can they differentiate between good and bad investments? Are they, they approach quite a lot about investments because they are obviously high net worth individuals. So I'm assuming they get approached quite a lot. How can you differentiate between good and bad? Uh, the, the main thing I always say to them is if anyone comes to you with anything, the first thing is let me look at it whatever anybody comes to you with, let's sit down, let's look at it and let's see whether it is viable as an investment proposition. If anybody comes to you with anything that's too good to be true, it probably will be. And the bit that I always talk to them about is you don't need to do anything too aggressive with your money. You don't need to try and chase really high returns because you earn very well and you've got a really good opportunity just to be sensible and do real simple things to to put yourself in, in, in an amazing position when you finish playing football. I mean, I've seen some, I saw once people trying to sell football barrels of oil, um, property, property developments abroad was, it was a big one 10 years ago. Uh, uh, there was one in Morocco, a footballer's paradise in Morocco. And when I looked it up on a map, you had to fly to Casablanca and you had to go an internal flight. And there was like a 50 mile drive. And obviously a 50 Life. mile drive, through the Moroccan desert is probably quite a long time. Um, And then I think the funniest one I saw once, somebody tried to sell a footballer a parking space at Glasgow Airport for them to rent out. So you own the space and then you can rent it out, yeah. What a fantastic investment at Glasgow Airport as well. It was 7% return was was marked down, but I'm not quite (laughs) sure what your asset is, you know, in there and and so on. But I think, you know, these things get put in front of of people and you'll you'll be amazed. So I've always, whenever I meet anybody, I always just say, just come to me with everything before you make any decisions. And if it's a good idea, we'll look at it and so on. But if it's not, I'll tell you very quickly. It's rubbish. Really important role that you play in in their in their decision making, which is which is fantastic. To be fair, it's fascinating. Ads, as we've already mentioned on the show, players are well paid, majority of them. But it's unusual not to hear about them falling into bankruptcy. How common is things like that to get bad in you know the, the realms of the people that you work with? People that I work with never. Never. On a general level, what would you say? Yeah, <laughs> On a general level, I think I think the rules are. I think there's there's forty percent of players. I think the official statistics bankruptcy. You know, within five years. And again, wow. you know, if we take a step back and take the Premier League out of it, and we go back to the League One players or the Championship players, if you think if you've got maybe a Championship footballer, 
and I, I mentioned the example before of properties. Um, you know, you might get a guy that's got four properties, but actually he hasn't got any liquid money and all of those properties are mortgaged. And then he finishes football and he doesn't have an income. Yeah. What happens? So they're, they're the common situations where you see things like that. Um, rather than you know the top end Premier League footballers where, where it happens, and so uh, uh, so that's why I think it's so important. You know their career, as I said, is so short. Fifteen years at a maximum push, potentially five to eight years worth of earnings. It's a really short, condensed period of time, and you know you're talking about finishing football at thirty-five years old, thirty-seven. I suspect most of us are about that age or a bit older. I'm not quite sure. You're being very diplomatic there. Rick's well, on the me because I'm, I'm on the older side, to be uh, fair. Yeah, but, you know, David days. Brent, I'm 30s, I'm 30s. Yeah, He's yeah. 30s. So, I've, just, <laughs> I've just clicked over the 40s, mate. So yeah, I'm, so I'm in I, the Ledley so King I. camp. I'm in the Ledley yeah. King camp. Don't worry about exactly. that. Exactly. Think if you think, if you imagine finishing your career at 36, you can potentially live 60 years. Yeah, it's a cra- it's crazy when you think about it like that. Again, a really good client of mine actually is a super super guy. Runs a business that uh, probably does about forty three million EBIT uh, a year, which is amazing. They built yeah. from scratch over a twenty year period. He-, he once said to me, "If you peak, if your career peaks when you're twenty seven, twenty eight, thirty one, there's only one. If it- if you're at its peak if, by yeah. its own definition, there's only one way you're going, and you're Absolutely. going down." And, and, you know, so so to be able to stagger your career and stagger yeah. your ability, like you say, 60 years left or 50 years left um, after you may retire from football, that is a long, long time. That's, two, yeah. that's double the amount of time you've been playing football for. Right? Or triple exactly. exactly, exactly, exactly. So we do, you know, as players get to about 27, 28, we do a lot of modelling with them, sort of future planning modelling, this cash flow modelling software that helps them forecast forward and that helps us make decisions. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and again, like a player, Adam, might choose to ignore the signs at first. Um, but when there are indicators that things are starting to kind of get out of control or spiral out of control, and it might be, uh, may be time for them to kind of seek some help and that sort of thing. Now, what, what, what are the kind of indicators that start to show us that? Now, I suppose <laughs> is spending over their means and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I suppose, you know... <sighs> You've heard stories about people needing almost payday loans, Premier League footballers like five, 10 years ago, needing loans, right. you know, to get to the end of the month. You know, you might sometimes you might see people who have maybe split with a wife or a partner and there's a big maintenance payment in, in place. They've got a big mortgage because a footballer have a very condensed period. So a lot of guys will have a five year mortgage. So the payments can be very, very high. So let's say you've got a five year mortgage with big payments. Let's say you've got divorced um, so you've got maintenance um, for children and let's say you get relegated and you've got a 25% pay reduction, then you, then you can see issues around, around, around things there. Um, well, it makes it really real, doesn't it? Talking it through because, you know, that can really happen. I think the other thing you, you're throwing in children there, the, the other thing that, to, to throw in the mix is you know, footballers generally, because of the lifestyle they lead, generally have children quite Very young. Yeah. They? they are very young, you know, 23, 24 years old and, and, and you're having children. So, and I wouldn't say that's probably the average, uh, you know, across the country. No, no. And, and I think everything is condensed into a really short space of, of time in a really short period. Like you say, with, with children, you, you see people get married at 22, 23 or having children. And it is very, very young. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's where divorce rates, I think there's quite high divorce rates for when people finish playing football as well. And that's because... People have got much more time on their hands. You're spending much more time together, um, and that's where you know you know problems arise. So there are much bigger things to think about for these guys, like you say, where telltale signs of things going wrong. Other things you see are, you know, if people have got money invested, you know, short-term, immediate cash requirements, that that type of thing. That they're, they're sort of warning signs. I will always try to work very closely with um, their agent. Um, and maybe their tax advisor in this case. And if, they, if, if we're seeing those signs, we'll always try to communicate that. Yeah. Um, fascinating. It's been a real fascinating first half here. We're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, we're going to be discussing with Adam lots more on the football finances and also getting his insight and his thoughts into Tottenham Hotspur's summer transfer window and also what the future holds for Spurs and Jose Mourinho. You don't want to miss that. Do not go anywhere. We <laughs> are back after this very, very short 
break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and welcome back to the second half of The Last Word on Spurs. Got the wonderful Lee McQueen with me and our guest on this special show, we've got the wonderful Adam Osper financial planner from Tilney joining us for this very special show. Listen, we love talking about football finance on here. It's great to be able to break away from Spurs for just an hour, although we're going to be talking about them a little bit in terms of transfers <laughs> on this international break. Ads, I want to duck right back into some of the questions we're going to ask you. And one of them I think fascinating to kind of find out from you is when you speak to a player or one of your clients, what is their biggest and most important advice you give them about looking after their money? If it's sports people, if it's a footballer, then I just literally, my, my conversation will be, you've got an unbelievable career. You've got the most incredible opportunity to put yourself, your family, your parents in a position where you can have the most unbelievable life now and after football. And don't waste it. You can do all of the things that you want, buy all the things that you want. But just make sure that you've always got one eye on the future because that 5, 10, 15 years will be over very quickly. Great advice, isn't it, to be fair? And again, life life in general goes so fast, doesn't it? It goes so fast anyway. And especially if you're a professional sport person, it's going to go yeah. even faster. Uh, what's the most satisfying aspect of your job, Adam? Um, and obviously without names, can you give us an example where advice you have given a player has proved to be crucial in their, I don't know, in their financial stability or their, their, their investments? Right, can I give you two examples? One isn't football related. Go for it. Um, so, Go for okay, it. so, okay, so I had one situation a few years ago. It wasn't a crucial piece of advice, but it was really interesting. So I started working with this uh, footballer and uh, he was six foot six, so a very, very big guy. I mean, I'm five foot seven. So, you know, he's a full foot taller than me. And we went through, <laughs> a, situa- went through a review of his insurance, which his wife had arranged and they, they'd come to the UK from Germany. And we found out that he was basically paying £9,000 a year more than he needed to on this specific injury insurance. So I went through this whole process of cancelling it, rearranging a new policy. And throughout this period, because it had come from this German insurance broker, they were going to lose the commission. So they were sending his wife letters threatening legal action and so on. So I then had the pressure on me, you know, I are you sure you've done this? The lawyers are coming. So I had to basically, like, was nervous. Yeah, yeah. um, But had to basically, I I, I knew I was right. So I had to draft this email to the wife, to the German company, to the footballer, to the insurance brokers, and basically highlight the terms and conditions which state you're fully entitled to cancel this policy at any time, et cetera, and so on. And then eventually that all went back and it, it, it came out that I was right. And that then it basically cemented my relationship with this footballer that I'd been trying to work with. He had trust issues and it took me like a year, year and a half to get into a really good position with him. And that transformed our relationship. And that was quite interesting. So I think the point is more not about helping the guys. It's more about you come across really interesting situations in football at times um, when you try to do things professionally and it's not always frowned upon. I suppose the most satisfying piece of advice I've ever given uh, was actually last year. It's non-sport related. Um, I got introduced to a client and um, they were early 50s, uh, married couple, two children, and he sadly had terminal cancer and he was working for the NHS. So, you know, the meeting was was about planning for the eventuality the eventuality as to what was going to happen to his, you know, he wanted to make sure that his wife and children were going to be looked after. So as part of this modeling work that we do, we look at, we had to look at scenarios as to how long you're going to live to try to plan. And it was really difficult conversations. And throughout this process, he he worked for the NHS and we found that within the NHS, if you've got less than 12 months to live, you can take something called a serious ill health lump sum payment 
which is basically a large upfront payment based on your potential pension. Mm. So we went through this process where we found this out and we went to the hospital to get him to sign the letters to make sure that everything got put in place. And he came out of hospital and, you know, we had a meeting and went through everything. He'd got to receive the money. And, you know, they said, they said, you know, we're so grateful for this. You know, we know that everyone's going to be okay. And then he died maybe a month or so later, which was oh, tragic. Yeah. But yeah. to be able to, you know, help a family in that situation, you know, it's more, it's more, it's the most satisfying piece of work I've ever done yeah. um, in really? through a really yeah, tragic situation. Yeah. No, fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah, fascinating. Ads, one of the main issues which needs to be negotiated between clubs and players is the extent to which the club will be able to exploit the players' image rights. Now, we'd be very keen to kind of discuss this subject with you. We know you've had some, you know, background on kind of image rights and how that works in football. I think one of the most popular transfers that never happened. I knew you were going to bring this up. How can you not bring this up? Rick? Well, I had to bring it up, of course, was um, the transfer or the non-transfer, should I say, of Paolo Dobala to Tottenham. Yeah. I think that was a player yeah. that we were so excited that could be <laughs> coming to Spurs. Refreshing my phone every five minutes. Well, we, oh, all, man, we, day, we, we were all man getting day. very, very excited. YouTube yeah. I mean, was probably at the highest peak it was with Tottenham fans watching highlight reels of this guy. Can you give us some kind of background indication as to how image rights work in a transfer because I, mean, I think it's an insight that really as fans we don't quite know can you give us some so, insight to that so i I, so I explained to you how image rights works and then i'll explain to you actually what happened with dibala and the problem with his image rights so if you are a footballer now of any age um and and, and uh, you have a, you want a football contract for a boot deal with nike or sponsorship agreements um you, you can uh, arrange that contract with Nike to pay you for wearing their boots and their and their, and their gear, or what you and a bit if you do that, that will be taxed as self-employed earnings. It'll be added to your income, and the top rate of tax will be forty-five percent. So, what a footballer can do, or a sports person can do, or a musician can do, is you can set up a company, and the company is set up for the exploitation of that image. So, the footballer or the musician or whoever it might be sells their image to the company. So, the company owns. The image so then anybody that wants to engage with the footballer for the use of their image has to engage with the company so money gets paid in the company and it's a limited company okay perfectly normal transaction when you join a club like liverpool manchester city spurs the big clubs they will exploit your image so so manchester city man united they will want to use your image with their sponsors and all the companies that they've got so depending on who you are they will say right as part of your contract we will pay you an amount of that money for the use of your image so you have a contract and normally it's around 15 percent of the value of your contract will get paid into the image rights company and for that, there will be an agreement with the club. There's clear um, ag agreements where you've assigned your image and you've given the, the club the use of, of that to use that for sponsorship deals. So that's how that works. Then they have a limited company that sits there and accumulates money. Um, and it, and you're in, if you're in the UK, especially, you'd have, that would just be a UK limited company. And the directors of that company will normally be the footballer um, and you know wh whoever else. It may be a family member or a parent. Your wife or something. In the case of Dybala, his old agent was the sole director of the image rights company. No way. So, so Dybala had no control over the company, and nor did his new agent. So the problem arose, not how much he wanted for his image rights. It was the fact that the director... So firstly, he had an offshore company. And if you sign for a UK club where it's UK sourced income, you normally need the company to be a UK company. So you have to do some work to basically close down the offshore company and, and bring the image over and then reopen a new UK company. And what happened was the old agent basically wanted a massive sum of money to resign from that company yeah, as the director. Almost buy him out, right? It's almost to exactly. buy him out of that company. Exactly. exactly what it'd be like. And that was the problem. 
and that no was the problem way. in there. That is brilliant yeah. insight. I mean, who would have known that? I mean, there was so many stories, weren't there, going around about oh, this uh, Levy can't get. This, this is what <laughs> I love. I love and hate about Spurs Twitter and yeah. you know, other, you know, oh, Levy can't get a deal done. He's shit. Get uh, Levy out. Banners all all going off. But actually, when you hear it from Adam there, you can clearly see how complex these deals are. And, and, and you and might actually, and, you, and you might be sorry to jump in. You're dealing no, no. with somebody who you know. South American, likely to be living in Argentina. He's probably not going to be a businessman. It could just be like, here's how much I want an asset, pay me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar. Like, as you, as you explained, it's almost like, you now I'm going to go and buy the rights to www. I don't know, phones.com. And yeah. then somebody wants to set up a business and I go and try and extort money out of them for it. Exactly. So it's, exactly you know, the same. It's, it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Buy me out, I, I own it. You know, uh, you want to buy, you want to build a house on my land. I own my land. How much are you going to pay me for it? And that's exactly, it's very, very similar. Get fascinating stuff. I mean, we, we, we're talking about obviously transfers there a little bit. I have to ask you about the transfer window. So obviously the transfer window closed slightly later, uh, 5th of October. Um, and uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic sort of delay to the season, obviously. Um, and that came in a, day, a change to the date in the window um, and, and all that type of stuff. So despite global financial uncertainty and a lots of fans actually probably thinking, Adam, that you know what? We're not going to spend anything. The clubs are going to be different. And, and you know, clearly, Daniel Levy's not going to spend anything. Um, yeah. you know, despite all that, and despite fans not even being allowed back in stadiums, hundreds of millions of pounds were spent by Premier League clubs yet again in the transfer yeah. window. What did you make of the summer transfer window? What did you make about the money spent? It, did it surprise think, you, Adam? Um, I think... I had a bit of a look at this actually, and because there are a lot of headlines that came out a few weeks ago after the window closed, where they were saying, I think it was like 1.24 billion was spent, and, and it's an all time high or one of the highest. I can't remember exactly what it was. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. But actually, 30% of that was spent by Man City and Chelsea. Wow. So, so, so what you've got there is you've actually got two, you know, so they're outside the realms of the coronavirus crisis and so on. And then I think if you look at Aston Villa, Everton, um, Manchester United and Liverpool, they're all owned by foreign owners. So a lot of that money actually was probably outside of that. So probably if you stripped all of that away, I bet the spend, the average spend would be very, very low. I think when you look at Spurs as an example, we spent about 60 billion, I think it was something like that. And I think yeah. the other thing that sometimes people don't understand is Spurs spent 60, as an example, that's not 60 million paid up front. So take... Region or, or Hoybieg, um, it might well be that, that, that the transfer fee is paid over three years. Yeah. Um, so if you take Region as an example, uh, Real Madrid have got the option to buy him back this year and next year. So actually, that could just be a glorified loan. So we might have paid 10 million up front, but we can get 20 million at the end of the season. So for, for, for an accounting and financial period, that's, that's actually a no brainer for Spurs. Yeah, uh, actually a very good deal, isn't it? Yeah, f financially. So when you look at 60 million, I, I suspect, I bet Spurs' initial outlay might only be 30 ac across the board, which is actually, you know, a, a, a relatively small amount in terms of income. Good business, really, for the players. That they uh, well, the business so. we've done is unbelievable, but you've seen it across the board. There's loans with options. There's so many loans with options to buy. You know, I've never seen that many. I, I don't know how many that were done this season, but that is for the pure purpose that you're effectively deferring paying in the hope that in a season's time, we'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Or fans will be back in at least. Because, you know, clubs, again, we, we, we always have a lot of time we have our Premier League hat on, of course, because, you know, we're Spurs and we're in the Premier League. But you go further down the, the, the football pyramid and it is absolutely killing clubs. Yeah that haven't got fans in a stadium, isn't it? I mean, you know, e even for the likes of you get 3,000 a week there, that yeah. is 3,000 ticket, uh, 3, um, uh, people not buying tickets that is crippling the club. They need that money to survive in the same way as we talked about the players earlier. The clubs need that as well, don't they? I, I, absolutely. You know, there's been all of that stuff that, that, that came out about this power to the bigger six and so on. And, and, and actually, we don't care about the smaller clubs. But, you know, the reality is if the smaller clubs disappear, the players are going to disappear and the ones that come through the system are going to disappear. So, you know, it, it is very, very important all the way down that Premier League clubs or football as a whole 
take takes care of, of of all levels of football rather than just making some very big clubs even richer. It's only right to ask you about Spurs' summer transfer business to get your thoughts yeah. on it now. There was a pretty big deal, as you knew. <laughs> Gareth Bale making a sensational return after seven years on a, you know, when he went to Real Madrid on a world record fee. Jose Mourinho made some other smart investments, including the aforementioned Hoybier, fullback Sergio Regulon, Matt Doherty, and finally recruiting that backup striker we've been crying out for. Sorry, not backup, alternative. Well, we get absolutely yeah. caned on Don't it. Don't back up me, Rick, when Don't I'm on here. Do not talk Carlos about Carlos Vinicius backup. also through the door. Joe Hart joined on a free transfer to be Hugo Lloris' understudy. Walker Peters went to Southampton, while a number of Spurs Academy stars, including Troy Parrott and Oliver Skip, went on loan to gain valuable experience while Ryan Sessegnon completed a loan move on deadline day to Hoffenheim. What did you make, Ed, from your point of view as a fan, um, as a financial expert as well, on Spurs' overall summer transfer business? It was amazing, wasn't it? You know, I, I can't remember having that much fun, you know, when Bale arrived. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, those few days, that week, it was it was just incredible and in. And, and I think it was actually what what Spurs needed because I think and you know when Mourinho signed and they said it's going to be a disaster with him and Levy and it's never going to work and you know it may end up being a disaster in the future who knows but I I I, I didn't agree with that because Jose Mourinho is a very intelligent guy Daniel Levy is a very intelligent guy Jose Mourinho is one of the best managers in the world historically he's won everything he would not have joined Tottenham without fully having a discussion and an agreement as to what their transfer strategy was at all. He wouldn't have done it. He would have had a clear plan and a clear agreement. And if Daniel Levy had disagreed with that, I don't think Mourinho would have joined us. So I didn't necessarily buy that it was going to be a a disaster. The window went better than I thought it was. I think, you know, as fans, we don't always know what goes on. But I think if we all sat down and everyone's done this over the years and gone, look, we need to fill this position and this position and this position. And, they, they filled every single position that most people felt needed to be filled. And I think more importantly than that, they filled it with quality. Because I think if you if you go back to the amazing team that Potichino had and you look at the amazing players, you know, Dembele, Eriksson, uh, Walker, Rose, etc., Vertonghen, who, who have all left, none of them ever got replaced with, any, with, with anyone better. You know, and, and this isn't a criticism, but Sissoko was a sub, Ben Davis was a sub, they were all the backup. Trippier was. They were all the backup replacements for our really good players. So they all went, and then we sort of brought in players that actually weren't as good as those first team players, and that's why we regressed a bit. And I think when you actually bring in players like Bale, like Reguilón, like Hoybier, who instantly go into the team, improve the team, and move it forward, you know that is what Spurs needed. They needed that competition, so that players aren't arrogant enough to know that they're playing every week regardless of how they play but actually players have to fight for their place in this competition and you've seen that in recent weeks we can't talk about transfers without talking about football agents and the reality is they tend to receive quite a huge amount of negative press um it'd be really good to get your view on what your thoughts are on being involved in transfers and, and in the world of football Obviously, you work with agents kind of day in day out you know in, in my role i'm not i'm not a football agent but i've been a recruit in recruitment for 20 years so i kind of relate to you know some of the aspects of their role um so it'd be really interesting adam to get your view on you know them being involved in the transfers and you know ultimately do do they are they a negative part of the game or they're a positive part of the game? I mean, I, I generally think they're a positive part of the game. That That's my, you know, I, I've met a lot of football agents over the years and, you know, the best football agents are top professional businessmen who do a very good job for their players. And I think people always think, oh, they just do a transfer, but they don't. You know, they can get involved with every single thing on a day-to-day basis, on a life basis, every single day, all day. Um, they could scout a player or, or look for a player for 16 and you can see situations where they may they may find a superstar and they might may lose them um and i think that one of the misconceptions is people always think that a football agent needs to move a player to get paid but that's actually not true a football agent gets paid on the value of the contract the transfer fee is actually irrelevant mm. so they'll they'll normally get paid about five percent of the value of the contract and that's paid over the term of the contract So you can have a player like Harry Kane, you know, who's been at Spurs a long, long time. And every time he gets a new deal and his agent negotiates that, he will get 
paid on that. So you don't have to move a player to do to do that. I think I think that's really fascinating because again, that's why I made the um, the kind of comparison to, to recruitment. So you know, it's, it's the exact same way. If you if you place somebody on a permanent basis, you might get a one off fee, and that's where the misconception comes from in terms of um, you know just just moving a player on every, every so often to get paid. But if you if you if you place a contractor and they're they're in their job for two years, in the exact same way, you, the agent would get paid based on that yeah. contract length, and it's a, it's a similar situation. I think if you say Look at it again. We always talk about the top end. So, you know, you can say Harry Kane doesn't need an agent because he sells himself like Messi and so on. Yeah. So, but again, if you go down to the championship or League One, agents are the guys that get the, you know, they help their players get better money and move them and so on to try to progress them. They're the, one that, they're the ones that need the help. And also, where an agent will earn, you know, will earn its stripes is you know, how the contract is structured. If, if you don't have an agent and you're moving a player from, I don't know, Manchester City to Spurs, as an example, if the agent has players at Spurs, he understands the wage structure. He understands where to position contract negotiations on behalf of the player. So there are all, all sort of intricate details like that. The commercial off-field stuff that we spoke about before with image rights, the agent plays a part in getting the footballer or the sportsman or the entertainer um, you know, contracts with off-field work and so on. So they're all, there's a lot more to it than, than that. And I think just an easy target. I think. Well, t- typically, it's probably because that from the manager side or the club side of things, the agents don't work for the manager or the club. The agents work for the player, essentially. Yeah. So, so, so therefore, their, their, their main key objective is to look after the player, not to look after the club. And that's the difference, isn't it? Which is the Absolutely. people, that, the, the, the bodies that you always hear talking about agents and how bad they are, they're always either managers or ex-managers or ex-chairman you know, of football clubs. And, and I'd probably be the same if I was a chairman of a football club. But the reality is you never hear a player come out and say agents are bad because they actually work for the player. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, there's one top agent that I work with and every time I see the contracts he gets for his players, I'm just like, oh my God, sometimes I think he could get me a move somewhere now, you know. <laughs> still time, mate, there's still time. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, and, and, and if I was a player for him, I'd be thinking, wow, this, you know, this is incredible. He gets incredible. We spoke about things like relegation as an example. There have been a couple of players that I've worked with um, that he's looked after that have got relegated and he's done such a good job at a particular point in time that there's no relegation clause in the contract at all. And that is his skill in negotiating, you know, and and, and all, all different things like that. Perfect. There's a lot more to it than that. So just just finishing up then, and, and there's one transfer that didn't get over the line from a Spurs perspective, and and you did actually bring him up when we was at our height in the six fifteen sixteen and sixteen seventeen season when we're challenging for title for the Premier League title, and that's Danny Rose, and yes. reportedly wants the full value of his Tottenham contract paid off um, if he is to quit the club. Spurs could not offload the left back, who's actually 30 now, which is crazy seeing that stat. Um, but before the window shut on the 16th of October, we couldn't offload him, um, even though uh, a last half attempt by Watford um, didn't get off the ground. So Rose is set to resist the payout on reduced terms. He wants a full 2.5 million um, plus remaining on his deal, which runs until June. And of course, he'd be a, um, out of contract, so he'd be a free agent. Um, but during that period of time, what what do you see happening, Adam, with that situation? It's such a, it is a shame, you know. Rose gets a lot of flack, and and I've given him flack. I'm not going to lie on this very pod, but you know he has been a good servant to the football club and been with us for a long period of time. It's just horrible, isn't it, to see this scenario? No, it's really sad. It's really sad, and I think, you know, he was a great, great fullback for a couple of years, and I think it is sad. I think again, if you take a step back and you, and, and you look at it, he's 30 years old, as he just said. Yeah, amazing. The, he's never going to get paid the money that he's on at Spurs now. So you're asking him to go to a championship club. So I, I don't quite know who's in for him, but his money that the championship club might offer, given the current crisis, might be 25% of what he's on now. Yeah. So if you have a guaranteed income at 30 years old in a coronavirus crisis where clubs don't have money, and you don't know where you're going to go and get good money, and you, you're getting paid, I don't know what he's getting paid, let's say he's getting paid £2 million a year. Yeah. Why would you give that up? Why would you give that up? Uh, your options are the club can pay you up in full, but the club will always try to negotiate an amount down. Yeah. 
Like they did with Jack Wilshere over at West Ham, for example. Yeah, yeah. And and I think if you've got a longer term contract, it's easier to do that. Say, right, let's terminate it and move on. But if you terminate it, he gets nothing and you and you pay an amount. But if he's going to get paid, let's say Spurs said to him, right, your contract is worth two million, we'll give you a million pounds to leave. And he can only go to another club on five hundred thousand pounds a year for two years. These are all massive numbers in, in real life. I, yeah, I, I yeah. Get that. No, no, no. But it's but again, it's in the scheme of it, completely irrelevant. It's, it's a what? fifth of his income. If he's yeah, on two and a million a year and he, he can only get half a million a year, that's yeah. a fifth. You're taking a 20 and, a, you know, an 80% pay cut, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, and why would you do that? You, you, would just sit, you, do that? you would just sit and say, I will get paid all of my money and I'll hedge my bets that, you know, the offer that I've got this year for £500,000 a year, I'll take in a year's time. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's fascinating. Actually, Danny's a really good example because, you know, I, I suppose doing your, the role that you're in, you know, the, the expert financial side of things, you would probably be weighing up, you know, uh, uh, playing at Watford on a free, if you can go and get a three year contract at a million pound a year with Watford, you can get some sort of deal with Tottenham to go, look, all right, yes. pay me a million pound to get out of it now. And Absolutely. I've got a three year deal. You kind yeah. of weigh that up and go, well, that's worth it. Right. Because actually yes. if you're out of contract at the end of the year and you've held out for your two and a half mil, you might have to go and play for Watford, but you might only get, you know, a few hundred grand a week. So it's, it's weighing all them options up. Right. So, that's that's where it becomes again when you think about Danny as a person, which we should be because he is a human yeah. being. Yeah, that that's he, where it becomes really he, difficult, isn't it? He's a human being with a guaranteed income for another twelve months. You know, that is what a football contract is. So why would you give that up for anything else? Yeah, you know, why would you give that up and, and put yourself in a much worse position financially? When you're at that age, 30, 31, where you're, you're you know, in football terms, you're te- over the hill. He hasn't played regular football for a period of time. His stock is not high that he can command a big enough salary. He might only get a two-year deal. So actually, you get a two-year deal and 500 grand a week, and you're only 2 million a year now. You might as well just say, well, I'll, just, I'll take the 2 million, and then I'll see where I am in a year, and I'm likely yeah. to be better off. Yeah, no, exactly that. No, it, it totally makes sense. And you know, the, the you know, I say normal people, but people that are not on obscene amounts of money per week, like like professional footballers at Premier League standard. You know, they you know, take me for example. Um, I work for myself, so I'm probably a bad example. But you know, the reality is, if I work for somebody and I'm on a contract basis, and I've got three three little mouths to feed in terms of my girls, exactly. there's no way I'm taking an eighty percent pay cut. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Just so that I know that in, in the end. <clears throat> I may or may not get work like in the next year. You're just not going to do it. Are you? If you've got guaranteed income, no. like you just said, in this scenario, you're going to hold out for it because the club, as well as a player, signed the contract and the club felt yeah. it was good enough to give him a five-year deal at the time and that they need to honour that that deal. I think it's just a shame because if you look at the length of service, just as fans, not with our yeah. hats on now, just as Tottenham fans, you know, the goal that he scored on his debut against Arsenal, some of them performances he's yeah. made have been absolutely outstanding. I mean, at one point, he was the best left back in Europe. And again, yeah. that must be that must hurt him, Adam, mustn't it? It must be hurting him, thinking, how have I got to this situation? Well, I'm 30 years old, I've got a year left on my contract, and I, I might not get another one. And, you know, a few seasons ago, I was the best left back in Europe. And that's how Mike quickly t- it can Mike, be taken away from you. Mike Tyson said it once. I watched this podcast with Mike Tyson. It was fascinating. And he was talking about... Um, the Lennox Lewis fight and he goes do you think if you fought him in your heyday you'd have beaten him he goes look I don't know he goes the reality is every single sports person peaks at different periods he goes I peaked 1920 Lennox peaked at 30 or whenever it might was he goes I would I would never have still been fighting at the level I was at 30 and you can always look at Danny Rose and say he's peaked and he is on the decline and you know it is, it is a shame and it happens sometimes let me look at somebody you know again, talk about like Ozil as an example it's the same type of thing you know, he's sitting there and, again, he's a human being and I know he get, he's getting paid a lot of money, but I'm, I'm sure he's frustrated with this situation and sitting there and just wants to play football and is wondering what's going on in his life. But I think, I think it is a shame with Rose, I think, because he was a great servant and, you know, he played in that team where, you know, for a few years, it was the best we've ever seen in terms of football. 100%. And, and the way it's sort of ending is a, is a little bit sad, considering I think he'll have been there 11 years at the end of this season, which is amazing. Yeah. For sure. Ad, only right to ask you to close. It's been, I think, a fascinating interview for us here in The Last Word on Spurs. Finally being a Spurs season ticket holder, which you are, yeah. we can't let you go about asking your thoughts on the current Spurs team under Jose Mourinho and what you think is achievable under this man who we know is a renowned serial winner, 
like you've discussed, the summer transfer window, he's got a lot of these players that, you know, he's, got, he's been backed more than you know, a lot of previous managers have been under Daniel Levy. What's achievable this season? Guys, it's now or never, isn't it? We have got a manager that wins wherever he's been. We've got Son and Kane. We've got potentially Bale. If we cannot win something now, it's time to pack up. <laughs> because I don't quite know where we go from here. I think, like, I think I think overall we've got a very, very, very strong squad. I still my, my one concern is still potentially that central midfield bit. I still think we missed that Ericsson. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you, Ed. The reality is we've got the training ground, we've got a stadium, the manager's been backed. He's a world-class manager, we've got world-class winning uh, goal, um, goalkeeper. We've got world-class players in Son, in Bao, in Ka I mean, you, you go through, we yeah. should be we should be talking about us. And it doesn't matter if we, if we get it wrong. It doesn't matter if we fall at the last hurdle, but we need to be talking about ourselves yeah. and believing that we can go and do something special. And do, do you think we can? I, I, I think I think we could win something this season. I think you know people. A lot of people have been saying, "Oh well, you know Spurs is defence," but actually, we actually have the best defence in the league currently. So we're only six games in. You know, we've we've got the best goal difference, and nobody else has got a good defence at the minute. Um, I, I, I still think, from a league point of view, I still think Liverpool are the team because I think they'll get into their flow and they're a bit of a machine. I think Manchester City are in a strange sort of transitional period. Um, so I think, you know, if we can carry on playing, you know, grinding out results like we did against Burnley, which was a horrible, ugly game, and turning in performances, you know, like we did against United, then I think we, we could do something, you know, we could do something and maybe maybe nick a trophy. As just to yeah. finish, it's been a fantastic hour with you. It's been a real, real pleasure having Brilliant, you on the yeah. last one. I suppose. absolutely loved it. Where can people follow you more, get more of your insights? Where can we find Adam Osper? Where can we find the man? <laughs> So I am on Twitter under my on, under a work account. I'm trying to get the followers up, um, where I'll be, you know, hopefully tweet more about, um, you know, helping footballers. So my Twitter handle is, is at Sports Finance. Um, yeah, so give us a follow, and you know, I quite like talking about what I do and answering questions and chatting about stuff. It's quite interesting. Superb, and definitely, Ed, we'll try and make this happen again and get you back on the show. I think For it's been sure. really fascinating. Love having you. Like I say the uh, the aspect of football finance coming on to the last one on Spurs. Let me say a massive thank you to Lee McQueen back on this special show. Lee, thank you so much. Brilliant, brilliant insights, Adam. Uh, fantastic to talk to you uh, for, for the past hour and a, and, and, and a bit. Even though Rick says it will only last an hour, it never does. I think <laughs> partly it's my fault. Uh, I've but got no, my uh, whole absolutely. family here in front of me waiting to talk. <laughs> I bless, can't ever shut them up, but now they, they can't wait to talk now. <laughs> in a minute. Uh, bless them. No, look, absolutely fantastic. And uh, be uh, be sure to follow at Sports Finance for all the latest uh, financial news uh, for involving and a massive, massive Tottenham fan. And we've just found out, uh, just talking off air, that uh, we don't sit, we sit like 12 rows between each other in the amazing South Stand. So hurry up, government, make the decision to get fans back in the stadiums. We want to get back. Thanks for I having totally, me, guys. Totally agree. Ad, thank you ever so much. Been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Loved it. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. There you go. The wonderful Adam Osp on the last word on Spurs. We hope you've enjoyed this special show. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.